Welcome to My Favorite Theorem, the math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, trying to rehydrate myself after taking a long bike ride yesterday in Utah, the Utah desert in July, basically. Yeah, that's not cool. Okay, so here's my, here's my story. So the last 10 days of June, my wife and I were out in Vancouver visiting our son. And it was lovely. It was, you know, 65 degrees every day. And, um, and we took a side trip to Banff, and which if you've never been, I cannot recommend enough. It's spectacularly beautiful. We had a wonderful time. <clears throat> Thursday morning, we, we took the red eye Wednesday night back from Seattle to Orlando. Thursday morning, I had a sore throat for a couple of days. Uh-oh. Yeah. I took a COVID test and it was negative. Okay. But I still don't feel great. Thursday night, I didn't feel good. Friday morning, I'm feeling worse. Take another COVID test. Guess what? It got you. <laughs> it got me. I, you know, I had a good run. It was two and a half years. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, so Ellen So this is a podcast from quarantine, although this it's is, exactly the same as all our other podcasts yeah, we're always in quarantine. Anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, here I am. I'm, so if I sound a little froggy, that's why. Um, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better, and so is Ellen. But uh, yeah, it's been a rough few days in the Knudsen house. And it's 100 yeah. degrees here and miserable. You right. Know, you know, yeah, a little, so, little less yeah. uh, conducive to, yeah. you know, fun. Yeah. But, enough, but enough of my <laughs> petty problems, which look. I, you know, let everybody. If you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated, right? I'm, I'm of, I'm of an age where I can be double boosted, and you know, I, I just, I've got a bad cold. That's it. So get your shots, people. There, enough political. Anyway, yes. so uh, that shouldn't be political, but somehow it is. Uh, today we are pleased to welcome uh, Philip Ording to the show. Philip, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Evelyn, for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I am a mathematician and a writer, um, and I, I teach at Sarah Lawrence College in mm. uh, Westchester, New York State. Mm. Um, it's not not as not as hot here right now. Mm-hmm. It was over the weekend. Yeah, you, sure. you've got your moments up there, yeah, I'm sure. It can, it can be very oppressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you hear some, some child background uh, noise, that's because COVID got the summer camps up here. Mm. So um, my son came back uh, from upstate Catskills camp mm-hmm. um, because they had to shut it down after a week. Mm. That's a bummer. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It, it's rough. Well, we we have invited you on the show to, to talk about your favorite theorem. But first, I wanted to sort of digress to a, a theorem that you have written about quite extensively. A lot. Apparently it's not your favorite theorem, but I I wanted to invite you on here because of this amazing book, 99 Variations on a Proof that came out a few years ago. And I read it, you know, last year or something and kept thinking, oh, I should invite him on here. And it's 99 um, proofs of a a theorem. It may be we might not even call it a theorem, a statement. It's, it's that, generous to call it a theorem. Yeah, yeah, that about the roots of a cubic polynomial, a, one particular right. cubic polynomial, and you just talk about it. You have 99 different ways to prove that the roots of this polynomial are one or four. Sorry, that's a little minor spoiler for this book, but I think you'll still be able to <laughs> sure. enjoy it. Um, so yeah, can you talk about that, like the how you had the idea to write this book and kind of maybe tell us about 
some of the styles of proof or, or styles of presentation that you've um, included in here? Yeah, sure. Thanks for bringing that up. And um, the the book, yeah, I, it's it's not my favorite theorem. I <laughs> chose it almost at random. Um, yeah. And uh, it, the book is is really about everything around it. Um, so I was interested in whether or not you could fill a book by thinking about the expressive material of mathematics um, outside of the content or almost parallel to the content. I had a friend in grad school who said that he, he, he said this, I think, over drinks, but with gravitas, that he thought that the, the thing that mathematics had over other subjects was that it's, it has so much content. You know, if you make mm -hmm. one statement in mathematics, um, it's the kind of thing that not only is very condensed and, and is probably the result of a long, long track to, and study, but it's also something you can return to a lot. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was interested whether or not even a, a very humble uh, equation and solution, something that anybody who's been exposed to math would recognize as mathematics, would be able to support that kind of an investigation of of something that I don't, mathematicians don't talk about style that much. Um, mm -hmm. I think philosophers maybe are starting to talk about it more um, recently, but uh, and just carry it through the things that I like about math, the things I don't like, the history, um, and some of the folklore as well. So, hmm. yeah, the, what kinds of so the titles are kind of um, the style uh, for each of those chapters, and they mm -hmm. range from things like. Um, psychedelic to medieval to um a proof that's found in a book um and uh everything in between so there's there are proofs from school from graduate school from college um there are proofs in different languages um there are proofs that um are linguistic i guess you could say um, mm -hmm. that draw attention to the particular notations or the sound um that the proof reads as, um, yeah, and it, it, it was a lot of fun. It kind of was a project that once it started, it, it took over mm. um, and had a life of its own, which um, which was probably what, what got me to the very end of it, even though it was a long, a long project. Yes, sure. a long time to be thinking about one cubic equation. I, you know, <laughs> but I, I was flipping through today and I did, uh, you know, towards the back, you have a Mondegreen, which is one of those kind of misheard lyrics sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, it's their omelet, eggs, beer, eel is the the first line of it. So, mm. you know, their omelet instead of theorem let. Yeah. And it's, yeah. <laughs> nice. I read through it. This is one you just have to concentrate so hard to read it and try to figure out what the, the math version of it. But yeah, it's, it's so, you know, you got, yeah, so, mm -hmm. so many different ways to to roll over this um equation so so yeah I, I hope people will check that out it's it's a lot of fun that was a that particular proof was a lot of fun to work on i had some students helping me in the summer and and um we just turned over the language of one of the simplest proofs in the book um from a mathematical point of view i think it comes from um a kind of sleight of hand uh, that could easily be misunderstood um, if somebody wasn't paying attention. And and I remember when I was in college, I had a friend who said um, that she liked math and she'd taken some courses, but gave up after a calculus course um, 
in which she couldn't understand the, um, what the professor was saying. And uh, all she remembers is this professor would get very excited and say, knees the baby, knees the baby. And she didn't have any idea what that meant, but it, she knew it was important. And uh, so I tried to think of things that sounded very similar. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an experience that everybody has at some point, you're sitting in a talk and you kind of are reading the person's emotions as much as you're reading, you're listening to the particular details of the techniques that are used. And um, that there's often things that are lost in that channel. So it was fun to, to make fun of that, that mm -hmm. phenomenon that I think most people who have studied mathematics at a certain level have experienced. Wait, what's yeah. Mies the baby? I can't figure it out. I still don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. If, any, if anyone figures it out. Yeah. Listener submissions are multivariable yeah. calculus. Mies the baby. Okay. Well, anyway, that's yeah. well, okay. We'll come back. We'll, we'll try to figure we'll that try out not offline. To be thinking about that the whole time that, that's we're right. recording this. And... Yeah. Okay. So, so this you've you've told us what isn't your favorite theorem. You do have an actual favorite theorem. Uh, why don't you tell us about it? I do, and I I love this question because it it's to me it's very appealing. Um, it's also very challenging. Mm. It's not the first time actually somebody asked me for my favorite theorem. The the first time it wasn't for a podcast. It was for a bathroom. I had a friend, uh, some family friends that had remodeled their apartment and they thought that uh, this bathroom where they had designed, it was like black uh, paint or wallpaper inside. And they, they thought it would be fun to have their mathematician friend make a, um, a theorem or some kind of statement of gravitas in the, uh, uh, in the bathroom. Or, or maybe they just thought it would, it would go well with the marble sink or something i'm not mm -hmm. sure um but i thought about it for a long time and i thought okay you know is this going to be like something that is i think the most important piece of mathematics or is it going to be something really personally meaningful um or maybe like i was in a uh, bathroom at a bar once downtown and some i think it was like a grad student at nyu maybe had done like the duran cohomology sequences and i thought that looked cool maybe it should just be graffiti but mm. um yeah, I sort of I never got around to it because I, I felt like I didn't really attach that much meaning to particular theorems. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, what I came up with is um, something that's that's a, instead of a, a theorem, it's an idea. Um, so it's called the Erlangen program. Okay. And um, it's uh, credited to Felix Klein, a German mathematician mm -hmm. from the 19th century. And uh, a program, yes, yeah, so it's kind of a project or um, an assessment of the state of mathematics at the time, but also a, a direction forward. Um, so to say like what it is, it's, I, I reread the Erlangen program, which is a lecture that he prepared actually. Mm -hmm. um, it's named after the university that he was going to be teaching at, um, a professor at, and there actually, there are no theorems in it. The thing that's mm -hmm. maybe closest is a statement that um, that says that if you want to learn about a geometry, you can find everything that you want to know by studying the motions of mm -hmm. geometric objects in that space. So what does that mean? To give some example, um, have you heard of this, by the way? I don't yes. know. I definitely knew the name. I could not have told you the first thing of what it actually was. I mean, I think it's yeah. actually been a remarkably influential idea for the last 150 years, right? I mean, 
I think it's driven a lot of of what happened in the 20th century even. I think so. I mean, my my background is in geometry and topology, so mm-hmm. I, I might you know I might be biased. Yeah, me too. But yeah. It, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> um, yeah. So it it. Uh, I mean, to give an example, if you wanted to understand, say, points in the plane, um, the idea is that you can understand points just as well as anything that you might do with. Um, say intersections of lines or coordinates or um, quadrants or distance by just studying say rotations of the plane that fix that point Mm. Um, or collections of rotations that fix a set of points Mm -hmm. Um, or if you wanted to study line geometry in the plane you could study well I don't know if this qualifies as a motion but um, the transformation that takes every point on one side of the line to the point reflected across the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so just studying reflections uh, in the plane that fix axes, you can really express everything you'd want to know about lines in the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to give some sense of, you know, why is this interesting and not just a complication? So for if you wanted to uh, you say you had two reflections and you compose them. So you reflect across your first line and then you reflect across the second line. And, and, and you, that's two operations. You can, you can combine them. Um, you're going to get something back. Uh, the result is going to be a rotation about if there's a point where those lines meet, when lines mm-hmm. typically do, you're going to get a rotation about that, that point. Mm-hmm. And when I first sort of started to get this this idea um, and use it, uh, it's sort of a yoga. When you get used to it after a while of, of going back and forth between the world of, of geometric objects and the world of, of the structure of motions or the group of motions, um, I loved it. And I just, it was very useful. And it it seemed like it it joined together areas of my brain that were were divided before. So I think that's why it's my my favorite, but I could say more about it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, where did you first encounter it? Um, I think it was in my senior year in undergraduate. I was um, given a project by um, my senior thesis advisor, um, a wonderful professor named Trolls Jurgensen. Um, and he uh, cut his teeth studying hyperbolic geometry. Mm. So one of the things that's I think is really amazing, and this was maybe, this is Klein's motivation for introducing the Erlangen program is that if you have many different geometries, so if you've been introduced to the idea that there isn't a, an absolute singular geometry out there, um, what we call now Euclidean geometry, what used to be just geometry, mm-hmm. um, and now there are non-Euclidean geometries or, or even um, wilder things um, like topology that we don't call a geometry um, exactly, then you might want to know how are you going to do anything in those weird spaces. And if you have the Erlangen program, it's telling you as long as you can understand the, the structure of the transformations, which we think of as gen- generalization uh, or restriction of congruence. So congruence mm-hmm. is the, the word we usually use for those motions of the plane that, that fix them, that preserve them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
what I had to do was understand something about the hyperbolic, the non-Euclidean analog of a pyramid, a tetrahedron is the, the term. And so tetrahedra are, are kind of um, like the dumbest of the platonic solids. I mm -hmm. mean, maybe it's got four sides, four corners. Um, it's a, it's a, a good shape for a die if you want to have just four options mm -hmm. um, because it's so symmetric. And, uh, but when you go into the, this world of, of negatively curved space, um, you can study tetrahedra that are formed by um, points that are at infinity, meaning that mm. you don't see actually a, a finite object in front of you. You just see these sets of lines that are going off into space, mm -hmm. but it turns out they bound a finite volume, which mm -hmm. is very, very bizarre. Mm -hmm. And if you want to understand anything about them, you're, you know, you're kind of left scratching your head if you're just going to be limited to the tools of Euclidean geometry, measuring things like area and um, volume in the traditional way. Um, it turns out that if you take that idea of, okay, I'm not going to think about the tetrahedron as made up of lines. I'm going to think of it as constituted by rotations in that space. Mm -hmm. It turns out you can write down those rotations, that whole set, quite easily um, using, um, once you've gotten used to using some matrix algebra. Um, so kind of higher dimensional um, generalization of the regular algebra on the real numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so combining those kinds of representatives of lines, um, you can just go to town computing things and you can compute intersections, just like I said, with these compositions of reflections in planes instead of say, in uh, in uh instead of euclidean planes uh, now hyperbolic planes mm -hmm. so that's that's a, a long answer to where i first encountered it and um yeah it was i wouldn't have known really how to approach the problem i was assigned if i hadn't had those tools sure yeah i mean trying to think about the actual geometry of 3d hyperbolic space is sort of weird right i mean because like you say you can't see it i mean you can but you can't and 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 you might draw it but you have to remember the metric is different and uh, the distances don't look, things that look finite aren't. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very uh, bizarre feeling to try to move into that space. I love those representations <clears throat> I, of mm -hmm. hyperbolic space. I mean, they're, they're stunning and they're, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they produce some of the most interesting kinds of ornaments um, out there, but it is hard to know where to start when you're just looking at these dazzling. Right representations or models. Um, and I, I guess I, the other thing that, that I was made to understand was that this Erlangen program is a little bit like a Rosetta Stone because mm. it's not only telling you how you can work within another, within any given geometry by studying its, its associated group of transformations, but if you know that uh, geometry has as a, um, among its transformations, a subset or a subgroup that uh, is um, has the this kind of coherence, then that becomes sort of a subgeometry, mm -hmm. and you can relate. Then, and I think this was going back to Klein, what he was up to. He they had all these great methods in projective geometry, one of the the kind of early alternatives to Euclid, and and they were able to use those to study and relate geometries one to another in this kind of zoo that exploded in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, thinking about 
I guess when most of us go to grad school in math, um, you know, one of the, the powerful things that we do is see this relationship between the algebra, the algebra, the, you know, group actions and geometric objects in some way. And so this is, this is building from that connection, I guess, from the Erlangen program. Is that, is that yeah, somewhat right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are other connections between geometry and algebra, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that we, we learn with Descartes and, and start once we start plugging in coordinates for, for points and then writing out um, lowly cubic uh, equations for expressing pictures of curves. Um, so, I, you know, I think that when you, you know, the process of learning math is usually um, is, even though math is a very, seems like a very strict discipline, it has its own subfields and, and those subfields don't always work together in obvious ways. So we tend to teach them in um, by these isolated textbooks mm -hmm. um, in mm -hmm. algebra or group theory and analysis and geometry uh, and so forth or calculus. And I think Klein was very much a synthesizer. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I like this idea as was um, William Thurston, who was the mm -hmm. person setting out programs when um, for geometry when I was a grad student, um, and I think we're still untying some of the things that that he, that he set out. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. definitely. Yep, yep. All right. So another thing we do on this podcast is we invite our guests to uh, pair their theorem, or in this case, program, with something. Uh, what do you think pairs well with the Erlangen program? Oh yeah, right. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, this is something I, I thought about, um, and I, you know, along the lines of the the question of your favorite theorem, I, I, I went to a kind of personal, like trying to think about taking this, this question very sincerely, and because I like the idea that there might be a, a connection between our personal taste mm -hmm. and the things that we do. I mean, it's a, it's a high bar for mm -hmm. mathematics, I guess, mm. um, because we're working with abstract things. Um, but uh, I would there's a there's a piece of sculpture that I would pair with this theorem that's okay. in the Museum of Modern Art. It's by a sculptor. It's a postmodern piece mm -hmm. by Richard Serra, who's an American sculptor mm -hmm. um, from 1967, I think. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. Um, it sits on the floor. Doesn't have a, a pedestal. Uh, and it's not much to you might you might step on it by accident um, <laughs> if you didn't if there wasn't a cord around it or something. But it's it's a piece of a, a rectangular piece of rubber, like black vulcanized rubber, mm -hmm. and it looks a little bit like it has a graceful form. It rises in the middle and then descends to the floor. It looks like a, maybe like a, a cowl over a, a monk at vespers or something. I don't mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. or like the hills on the screen. Uh, the green screen behind Evelyn yeah. uh, of, of Utah. Mm -hmm. um, and the mm -hmm. name of the piece kind of says it all. It's called To Lift. Mm -hmm. um, and it's part of a series that, that he made. Um, I think he was inspired first by um, dancers that he was seeing, choreographers at the time, downtown Manhattan. Um, but the idea, he made this, um, this uh, kind of 
Erlang and program for himself that was called the verb list. And mm. it starts out like to uh, crease, to fold, to roll, mm. um, to mm -hmm. twist, to torque. Um, and he made pieces um, for many of these that kind of instantiate this verb mm -hmm. by applying it very simply to material. Um, so it's not, so a lot of them are, I think, were rubber, but others are lead um, or uh, steel. Um, mm -hmm. Later on, he got into more. And um, yeah, so the thing about the Erlangen program, besides its like connective uh, properties between different disciplines, I really like the way that it takes things that I've thought of as more solid geometric objects, mm -hmm. concrete things, and then, mm -hmm. and then trades them with verbs, with actions or motions or transformations. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes geometry much more dynamic in, in my, anyway, my way of previously of thinking of it mm -hmm. um, as this static world that you kind of enter and measure things. Um, instead, it's this world where you have all of these permutations of the space that you're looking at and you kind of play. I, I think of it as more more playful. But um, that that's the sense I got from, I had a chance to work um, as a grad student in Richard Serra's studio and and the way that, um, I mean, it's very serious business. That, uh, <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> pretend like it's kindergarten, but sometimes it has that feeling of like, mm -hmm. let's, this is a proposition. Like, can we make a form that embodies this, this, mm -hmm. this movement or this daily kind of task or transformation? And he made videos around that same time, mm -hmm. um, hand catching lead and, mm -hmm. and, um, they're, they're very simple. Um, but they just, um, act on you in a way because you start imagining your own participation with the, the material world around you in this way. So that, that would be my pairing. Yeah, so, well, so, your description, I haven't, you know, I'll, I'll look it up later, see if I yeah. can find a picture of this sculpture, but your description, uh, you know, it sounds like you had a sheet of rubber on the ground and just lifted it up, and it mm -hmm. does sound like the simplest thing. I'm sure it wasn't the simplest thing to actually make something that, that gives you that feeling, but um, but yeah, I guess that there's that, when you see it, you, you immediately understand what, what the aim was. And it, it's funny when you were listing the, these other verbs that that he did so many of them also have mathematical mm -hmm. uh you know things that you can almost imagine a textbook that's telling you like okay this is what a dane twist is and shows you a simple uh you know example of that this is what something with torsion is or this i, I don't remember exactly all the words but even lift has a mathematical mm -hmm. meaning as well and so the you know these choreographic and artistic things also connecting to the these mathematical ideas we have i love those those suggestive verbs and those the little diagrams um in that kind of combinatorial or cut and paste topology mm -hmm. yeah de definitely yeah so um, uh, you mentioned that you worked in the sculptor's studio as a graduate student how did that come about oh yeah that's right uh so it, <laughs> it was it was um kind of one of those only in new york moments. Mm -hmm. um, I think his um, studio manager um, reached out for to, uh, you know, it was like the tutoring email at Columbia mm -hmm. University where I was a graduate student. Um, and I think they were kind of stuck um, with the uh, communication between the studio and the engineers that mm. make the large-scale sculpture that that um, Sarah's known for mm -hmm. most widely today, 
Um, so there was some kind of communication breakdown there and and they thought, you know, we're not understanding what the engineers are telling us about what is not possible and what is possible. And it, it, it had gone, you know, it had left the converse, the, the bounds of what was engineeringly possible. Like it mm -hmm. was actually what is formally possible. Mm -hmm. um, so that, um, and at that point, you know, um, this was in the early 2000s, he, was already working at a very sophisticated level. So they were in the sense that to, to make some of the large scale forms, they were using, you know, cutting edge architectural mm -hmm. design and engineering tools. Um, uh, once they had a design, you know, once they had a design then they could send it out and people would sort of develop it to a point where it would be um, stable, rigorous and so forth, mm -hmm. pass the, the test. Um, so yeah, when I saw that, I was I jumped on it because I I've kind of always been interested in um, places where mathematics might speak to mm -hmm. the arts, mm -hmm. um, and had at that point already I was I think I was tutoring um, a, uh, a professor in the architecture department, um, and he was um, his name is Peter Macapia, and he was. Um, he became a very good friend, but he also kind of, once he knew I was going to go uh, try to meet Sarah, he, he gave me a bit of a crash course um, mm. on why Sarah might be interested to talk to a geometer or a mathematician. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't know if that's the reason that uh, I was I was asked and invited to, to work in the studio because mm -hmm. I had done a little homework. Um, mm -hmm. It might have just... It might have it might have just been that uh, um, sometimes I would joke that I was like a, a math therapist uh, or a geometric <laughs> therapist. It was kind of I would listen to to things that um, they were trying to do and ask them why they talked about them the way they did, and mm -hmm. and often I think they came up with their own solutions. But um, certainly it was a formative experience for me, and and part of the reason I I wrote the variations was to see if there was a way to take seriously. Um, reversing the direction from instead of applying math to to art to see if I could borrow some of the ideas of art making to do math. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is such a great opportunity you had as yeah. a grad student even to get to yeah. do that kind of thing. And yeah, it's, you know, I think both of us, a lot of people love that, that mm -hmm. mur murky boundary between yeah. um, math and art and the ways that you know we can apply a very i guess i think of math often as a theoretical art like a mm -hmm. you know we're we're doing a similar kind of thing i mean i know this isn't original but it's the similar <laughs> kind of thing we've got aesthetics we've got rules of our discipline and like mm -hmm. we we apply it to abstract objects and using that to apply it to concrete objects after that is um very cool yeah Thanks. Yeah. I'm looking forward to looking up that uh, yeah. sculpture yeah. after we get off the yeah. call. All right. So we've talked about your book. We always like to give our guests a chance to plug anything else or where we might find you on the World Wide Web or anything like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, the book came out in paperback last fall. So mm. um, you can find it um, affordable, even more affordably priced, I would say, yeah. <laughs> from yeah. Princeton University <clears throat> Press. Um, I, I want to plug um, my friends, 
book. I don't know if you've had Jessica Wynn on. Um, no. She's a photographer that made a, a beautiful book um, called Do Not Erase. Uh, I, I have this book, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she, she was kind to um, ask me to make a board and for her to photograph. And hmm. um, I wrote a, uh, I, I used the maximum word count, I think, to write a little bit about um, my uh, my senior thesis advisor, Trolls. Mm. So if you want to page through that, but the book is amazing and there are much, yeah, it really is. many celebrated uh, mathematicians boards in there. So um, that's, that's fun to, I think your listeners would enjoy that if they haven't seen it already. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Thank you for joining us. I really enjoyed getting to talk to you and uh, think more about that connection between math and art. Yep. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. It's been great. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.